Hello, my wonderful friends. Welcome back to Diary of a Psychic Medium with me, Amber Amrine. Today, I will be sharing my journey with aliens from the very beginning. We're going to talk about various collectives, how I came to interact with them, what I experience when they interact with me, so what abduction feels like, all that good stuff. And we have a special guest to kick things off. Not a skeeter, somebody else. <laughs> Here we go. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff today, just to set the stage for more conversation about extraterrestrials, because this conversation can go on forever. We are kicking things off with my mother. <laughs> when my mom was pregnant with me, she and my dad had a very bizarre experience with aliens. So my mom sent in a little audio clip to share her story. Her name is Maria. She is also a Reiki master, teacher, and intuitive, so I'm going to put a link to her website in the episode description so you can check it out. It sounds like Stella the Bulldog makes a little cameo. You can hear her toys rustling in the background. <laughs> hello, my beautiful princess, and hello to all of you listening. Um, I feel extremely honored that Amber has asked me to share my alien experience with all of you, so I hope you enjoy it. Um... My alien experience came through as a dream. Now, what is unique about this is that I very rarely remember my dreams. As far as I can recall, my dreams have always been just pitch black, except for the rare occasion when I am able to recall them and they usually end up being messages for me or of things to come. Uh, now, I had this dream a very long time ago over 26 years ago at this point, because I believe I may have been pregnant with Amber. We, Amber's father and I, were living in a small apartment in Burbank at the time. Anyway, we had gone to bed and I fell fast asleep. In my dream, I remember waking up. However, I woke to being suspended in the air in the middle of the kitchen. We had a very small kitchen with a window that looked out to a courtyard with a water fountain in the center of it. Uh, the light coming through the window was faint, which I expected because it was nighttime, but this light had more of a green-yellow glow to it, and it allowed me to see that I was spinning in the air in slow motion, facing away from the kitchen window and into the small dining area. As I spun in the air, I could see that on each side of the kitchen were a number of alien creatures. They were all short, probably about three to four feet tall. Some were your standard gray alien, thin and lanky with the big eyes, small nose and mouth, long fingers, and others were a little more odd looking. The one that struck me the most and that I recall clearly was at the end and closest to the dining area that transitioned into our living room. I think the reason I remember him clearly is because I remember thinking in my dream that he didn't look like your average alien. He was more of a triangular blob, no neck, big, big eyes, two holes on his face for the nose, a very big, wide mouth. His hands basically came right out of his body and hung there, no arms. And he also had no legs, but his feet were attached to the bottom of his body. Anyway, they all just looked at me like there was something they were observing. 
Fortunately, there was no poking or prodding. They did not touch me, but I could feel a sense that they controlled me through their eyes or their mind. I didn't feel afraid, nor did I feel that I would fall. Uh, I was very aware of where I was, of what I was seeing, and of how I felt, and how I was even spinning in the air. And then I just woke up the next morning. The dream obviously had been so real that as soon as I was awake, I told Amber's father about the strangest dream I had had and I was telling him about being suspended in the middle of the kitchen uh, with about a dozen little aliens. And before I could go on, he stopped me and told me that he had had the same dream. So here we are many years later, and I struggled to believe that it was just a dream because of how clear it was and how conscious I was of what was happening and the thoughts I was having that you don't typically pick up on when you're recalling a dream. Anyway, a little crazy, but that was my dream. So <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the story. Thanks so much. That was wonderful. Thank you for sharing your story. There are many ways an interaction with extraterrestrials can affect us depending on what the collective is and what their purpose is. Some incidents can seem more like a dream like this, they are basically putting us in a state where we feel somewhat calm and unreactive in the moment to what is going on, like we're in a trance a little bit. It's interesting because some collectives have the technology to just kind of inhibit anxiety and just keep our like mental processes on so we can kind of function and I don't know, talk to them if they have questions or whatever, but we're not reacting upon that like fight or flight mode. Some collectives can put us under anesthesia of some sort, which keeps us calm, but also has weird, like, hallucinogenic kind of side effects. So if you're sleeping when they take you, when you wake up, you'll have, like, a memory of these really weird, vivid, colorful, bizarre dreams with these weird creatures. And none of these images really fit where you were. It's just your brain's attempt at kind of making sense of what you saw. For this, too, you may just wake up feeling very uncomfortable and kind of violated, like something happened, but you have no recollection of anything going on. So you may not have those hallucinogenic effects. You may just not feel right. A lot of extraterrestrials don't feel emotions, so they do things to try to keep us calm so they can kind of fulfill whatever it is that they're needing to do. But they don't understand that this can be very uncomfortable for people. They're just trying to get a job done, basically. It's like if we're trying to capture a wild animal or something like that, you know, we have a specific purpose and are trying our best to make it comfortable for the animal, but we don't know what the animal is feeling. You know, it's kind of a similar thing. They don't understand exactly what we're going through because they don't feel as much as we do. Aliens may be interacting with us for a variety of reasons. It could be because they're trying to study humanity, they're trying to help you, you may have a soul contract with them, where it has been set that you are supposed to work with them to accomplish something. Again, it could just be to understand humanity better. Not all collectives will abduct you. It's usually for a very specific purpose. It takes a lot of effort to abduct somebody, so it's not like the first thing they go to always. And it could be simply that your contract doesn't have to involve abduction. 
There are beings in all dimensions and all layers of reality. Some are purely energetic. Some can exist in both a physical and energetic state, so like fairies. And then some are just completely physical like us. These all obviously have their own cultures, dialects, and their own purpose. Sometimes extraterrestrials will stick to a specific lineage, so people in a bloodline may experience similar happenings, or they may have all have had their own sort of sighting or weird experience. Some extraterrestrials are trying to really make an impact to raise the collective consciousness here on Earth, so they'll incarnate as humans to then actively work out their specific mission here. This can result in anything from lingering telepathic connections to them to frequent abductions and the presence of implants. To add to that, if your soul is fresh from space or has had a majority of their lifetimes on other planets, the human experience will feel very strange, overwhelming, and confusing. I have a lot of clients that experience this, so don't feel like you're in this alone. Because humans experience so many emotions at one time, emotions will be super overwhelming and uncomfortable. Some collectives only communicate telepathically or through like an energy exchange of some sort, so verbalization could feel very new. They may also feel like they don't understand humans or what humans are supposed to do. Again, that is all normal and you are not alone. Just do what you need to do to stay in a high mental state because that will kind of allow the tools to come forth to help you process everything a little bit better. Going back, so I mentioned implants. Implants are just anything an alien will just kind of inject in our body. They have multiple purposes depending on who put it in there and what the reason they put it in there is. (laughs) Implants can be used for things like tracking, whether it be tracking your location or just tracking changes in your body like blood pressure, hormone levels, and stuff to see how the human body ages or just how certain things kind of affect us. They can be used to help protect the human body itself if somebody is regularly abducted. So some collectives will have special areas on their ship that they basically like attach a person to through these implants and then it helps keep the pressure level right, oxygen levels high, all that stuff. It keeps the body working. They can even use implants just to help increase communication with them. So they can help make certain parts of your body like more sensitive so you can hear them better, maybe you can see them, maybe you can be more sensitive to feeling them. The list goes on. Regarding abduction, there are again many reasons this could happen. They could be helping you. So if you have a failing organ, they can help kind of regenerate it. They may even bring you up just to kind of ignite some downloads in your body to increase your frequency and help you tap into your more sensitive psychic abilities. So things in my early childhood were pretty calm in terms of aliens. I don't really remember anything specifically happening. I always loved learning about space. I wanted to be an astrophysicist. I was super passionate about it. It just felt like home and it just gave me all the warm fuzzies. (laughs) Naturally, this brought about a curiosity in aliens. I want to say in third grade, we started to really learn more about the solar system, and I would study for tests by literally imagining I was flying through it. I would imagine flying through Earth's atmosphere until I was outside Earth. I would take a moment and just take in the beauty, 
It was just like a scene in a movie. <laughs> then I would fly over to the sun. I never really explored the sun itself. I would go like right near it to watch it move and I would sometimes go into the outer layer a little bit but it was always just so bright and the energy was really intense so I would just more kind of take in its beauty <laughs> than really kind of dive in. Then I would fly to Mercury. Mercury doesn't have much of an atmosphere at all so it was a pretty direct landing. I wasn't personally a big fan of Mercury the energy of the planet just feels very calm and neutral, which is fine, but the other ones were a little bit more exciting. <laughs> the beings here were few and far between. They have a similar face to Jar Jar Binks from Star Wars, but their snout is longer and thinner, and they have these like two dangly appendages <laughs> that hang from their lower jaw and then two smaller ones that stick out on their top, kind of like a catfish, how it has those really thick whisker things. Their bodies are gray and brown with some random like hints of blue. They look scaly like an armadillo and have long thick tails, the tip of which kind of drags on the floor behind them. They are upright like us, but they are a bit hunched over. Since everything is a bit desolate, they walk a lot. So some of them will have like a walking stick that looks like it's actually made from a crooked stick of some sort, but it's actually made out of metal. They all have like the same outfit. <laughs> there are these body length coats that are a light beige color, but they have this white hood that they wear over their head. They don't have to eat. They like take their nutrients in from the sun, but they do once a month need to ingest like a little sliver of ice, I guess, just to keep hydrated. There's not much going on there, so I never really spent too much time there. <laughs> Next is Venus. Venus is really stuffy and the air is just super thick. Because the air feels so heavy, this one would come through as having an odor. The other ones, I wouldn't really smell anything, but this one was pretty strong. It was like a mix of smoke and sulfur. Very lovely. <laughs> it looks and feels very similar to Earth, but everything has this gorgeous orange glow to it. Like if there is a very bright, colorful sunset going on, how it just kind of reflects on everything, you know, similar to that. There are actually a lot of beings on Venus. There are purely energetic ones and then some that look a little bit more physical. They all kind of remind me of the fairy realm a lot and how they work. So the energy beings would just glide by. They are very transparent. They don't have much to say. They just kind of move and are in their own little world. So if I would talk to them, they'd usually just keep moving and wouldn't acknowledge me. Their face looks very human, but it's like their body is a giant sheet. So it starts from the top of their head, and it's just a sheet down. It covers their mouth, too, so you just see, like, their eyes and nose. They don't have any legs or anything. They don't have arms. This sheet is its body. And the back of their bodies have these, like, long, thick pieces of fringe that are just kind of blowing in the wind behind them. And then the more physical-ish kind of looking ones are about two feet tall. They're humanoid. They move quickly, and their mannerisms kind of remind me of a meerkat. Their feet are wide and flat, 
almost shaped like a leaf from a four-leaf clover, but the edges, like where our toes are, are really thin and curled upwards. They breathe kind of quickly, but it's like coming through their stomach, so their lungs are where our stomach is, which is interesting. They have big eyes, a small little nose that looks more like a raised area with two nostril holes just stuck right underneath, so I guess similar to ours. They have teeth, but their teeth are an extension of their jaw, so they don't have gums or anything and their teeth can't fall out. They're literally just stuck and embedded in there. Their teeth are about an inch wide and like a quarter of an inch tall, you know, so they're very small but very long. Their ears are that same like clover leaf shape, which is kind of the shape of a heart. But if you think of a heart, how it has those two bumps, each bump on their ear is an ear itself. So they have like two ears on each side. They have long skinny little arms with four fingers. The tips of their fingers also look like their feet did. So each finger has like a little heart-shaped flat thin bit with the edges curled up. They're very curious creatures and very playful. They don't talk at all, but they communicate through gesture. There are certain areas on the planet that has like more richer soil. And in that soil are little flakes of some kind of like gold substance and that is what they eat. So these guys will kind of go through the, the dirt and look for those little gold pieces and they'll eat them. And that's kind of an overview of what's going on. Moving on, Mars is dusty and windy. Nothing like super crazy, but it's very prevalent. It's, it's, there's wind that is very often just coming through. I always liked Mars because the energy just feels very alive and vibrant. It just feels very rich. The beings on Mars are interdimensional and can disappear, reappear, and shapeshift. I was just tapping into all of these before I am talking now, just so I can get a refresher of each planet. So specifically when I tapped in, I first saw a woman, so it, it looked like a, a human being. She had brown boots, an off-white long dress, and like a brown jacket on top. She was also wearing, it looked like a brown bandana kind of around her hair. She was just sitting there kind of having a picnic and eating what looked to be a sandwich. <laughs> she was choosing that form, though, because it's what I'm most comfortable with, you know? So she just wanted me to feel comfortable, basically. After we were good and we were established, she walked behind a rock and came back as, I guess, a true form of her energy. This form was about six and a half, seven feet tall, is not clothed, has a similar body shape to us, but the torso is very triangular shaped. The skin color is also like a mix of like greens and blues. They have long legs with big knees. Their feet have like one slit in it, so it's like they have only two giant toes. <laughs> Their neck is very skinny and very long, and they have a really big head. They have big kind of almond-shaped black eyes, a small nose that sticks out a little bit, and then their ears are pretty unique. They remind me of a mix between like our ears and cat ears. So the base of the ear and everything looks similar to ours and starts in the same place, and then it stays connected to the head and then kind of branches off like a cat ear. But the whole outer edge of the ear is very like ruffly looking. 
They have a mouth, but it disappears when it's not in use. So when they use it, you'll see like an opening into their head, but they can make this opening as big or as small as they want to. And then again, it'll just kind of disappear when they're done. They do have gardens that grow their food, but these are in secret locations that are either like underground, under hills, or in caves. And then also, because they can shapeshift, they can also like turn themselves into transportation vehicles, I guess, so they don't have to walk everywhere. They can just like turn into a little rocket and then kind of zoom to the other side of the planet. Now we are getting into some of my favorites. I love the gas giants so much. (laughs) Jupiter is specifically my favorite. I would spend the most time here and I would have the strongest relationships with the beings there. It takes a while to go through the atmosphere because it's so thick, but it is very much worth the journey. I specifically remember seeing like five layers. So the first one would be more like misty and icy. And then it would start becoming thicker and more cloud-like. And then it would start turning into very colorful, like blues, reds, and browns, all just kind of intermixed together. It was really pretty. Depending on what part of the planet you would go in from, sometimes you would hit an area that isn't as mixed. You know, it would be more just kind of flat colors. So I would specifically try to target the areas that had more of a storm a little bit I guess so that the colors were intermixed because it looked a lot cooler (laughs) and then after that I would hit an area that looked like our sky a little bit so it was like blue but there were some white clouds kind of and then after this it would start becoming misty again and the atmosphere would lighten up a little bit and then I would land on the planet Everything on the surface was very wet. There were a lot of big bodies of water, and then they had these, like, little volcano things that would also kind of erupt this water substance. The water looked kind of like a green color, so it didn't look blue like ours. It was like a thick green color. And then the areas around the water just looked very rocky. My favorite beings were these ones that looked like a giant mixed between like a blob of slime and a slug. So it was upright and very wide. Some would have antennas on the top of their head like how a slug's look. It could be anywhere from one antenna to five. They would have eyes but again it would vary from like one to four. Some would have their eyes like straight forward, some would have it on other sides of their head, some would have it like one super high, one super low. Because their body was a little bit fluid, their features would just kind of move around and slide. They did have mouths, but these were like halfway down their body. The mouths were as wide as their body was. These specifically stuck around the bodies of water because they always needed to kind of stay moist, so it was just critical for their survival. There were a bunch of other ones, but one that kind of stood out too, their bodies were like a pale yellow color, but they had like splashes of light brown. They don't have arms or legs. Their body is round and very squishy, like if you had a bag and you just filled it with jelly and just set it on the ground. Yeah, so it has that round shape, and it's it's very, very gelatinous. They have two hard bumps at the top of their back, and then their neck curves forward into their head, and at the front of their face are two pyramid-shaped 
horns, I guess, <laughs> one on top of the other, kind of like a bird beak, but these always stayed open and they were like a horn. They weren't actually its mouth. The mouth was in between the two horns. They had two eyes on either side of the top horn. They don't have bones in their body. Everything is very gelatinous, but those two hard bumps at the top of their back connect to this hard, flat piece that goes down their neck, up over their head, and then into these two triangular horns. They didn't have teeth or anything. When they open their mouth, it's just like a hole directly into their insides. The beings on Jupiter don't really have buildings or anything. The slug guys have their, like, home bases that they make out of caves and stuff like that. They just, like, personalize them. Because it's a different culture there, they don't really have, like, family homes necessarily. They do, like, procreate, but it's just very casual, I guess. It's for specifically, like, company and help. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's not necessarily the way we view it. The slug guys can have, like, life partners, but it's very rare. There's one specifically that I was really good friends with, and, like, he and his partner and their children were very close, and they always kind of stayed together, but this this was not something that was very common. With the yellow and brown bird things, they were similar to reptiles where an egg would be laid, and then a new being would kind of grow from that, but it required three beings to come together to do that. I could stay here all day, but we're going to keep moving on. <laughs> so off to Saturn. Saturn always had this like young, masculine kind of energy within it, but the outside felt very feminine. It has a very interesting balance. So like the ring around Saturn was beautiful and was so cool to kind of ride on. And that always felt very like motherly and warm. And then again, as you start going into the atmosphere, it starts off as very feminine and then it will just kind of become a little bit more mixed and then it'll just get more masculine. The beings also reflected this kind of mix. So there is no gender over there. Everybody is everything. Their energy is very thin and wispy. They look very androgynous. They wear togas and are pretty emotionless. They have like a specific mission and they are very focused at accomplishing that. Everything there is energy except for a central like capital area. So when the beings are in that area, they will look like this. They will look like a person. But whenever they leave, they'll just kind of mix into the cloudy, gray, misty energy that's around everything. So this capital area is basically just this like outdoor looking area and there's this front entrance to a building, and the front entrance looks kind of more like an ancient Greek building. It has that kind of style, and they all meet in front of it to basically just have like a meeting. There's a massive energy at the heart of the planet that is kind of ruling everything and is basically what's inside this building. So they'll go there to kind of have a meeting, check in, get what their duty is from this like ruling energy I guess and then they just jump into this cloudy mist around them and then do what they gotta do. I used to try to portray my energy as having a toga and like adopting their features and stuff like that because otherwise they would completely ignore me. So I was kind of able to have conversations with some of them but it was always very like short and abrupt. They just mean business. <laughs> Uranus is very unique. My experience there was always a bit different than the other planets. 
And anytime I went over there, I would always have Bananarama's Venus song playing in my head, even though it's obviously not, not about Uranus. The vibe from that song just fit it so well. So for this one, the planet itself didn't have beings, but it was like a bunch of beings made up the planet. So I wouldn't go down into it. I would just kind of go by next to it and then talk with them. It was just pure feminine energy. And the energy felt so smooth. I want to say like a razor company used that song for the commercials. And just that mix of a song about a feminine goddess and <laughs> like smooth skin from shaving was just a perfect like de definition for it. It's like giant chunks of feminine beings that were just kind of all together and intertwined and had this very mysterious kind of vibe, similar to like a mermaid a little bit. They were very warm and very uplifting, and visiting them always put me in such a great mood. It was wonderful. Neptune is really interesting because I always viewed it as like an underwater kingdom, which is what the god Neptune is in Roman mythology. So that just kind of came about by itself. It has a very similar feel for some reason. That being said, I never liked to be there for too long. It was just a bit, it, was, it just had a lot of like heavy, masculine, kind of aggressive energy, and it just made me a little bit uncomfortable. It always felt a little bit chaotic, like how the ocean feels during a big storm, you know, with just everything constantly moving and pushing and it was just kind of a lot so I would not stay there that much so I am not as familiar with the beings there. Last but not least we've got Pluto. Pluto is now a dwarf planet but when I was a kid it was still a regular planet so I am adding it in because I always liked it. <laughs> the beings there were very small I would say between like two to five inches tall. They are kind of humanoid, but also look and embody the characteristics of like ice and rock. So they move a bit stiff and will sometimes just kind of pause for a long time and just stay there very still. They are very calm, sweet little beings, similar to Saturn where everybody's very focused on like what they're supposed to be doing. These guys had a similar feel, but they were a little bit more open to communication than the Saturn people. These guys don't verbalize, so they send messages through emotions, basically. They'll send you love or they'll send you curiosity because they want to know why you're here, that kind of thing. And that is the very long venture I would take very often. <laughs> Starting around the same age, so about seven or eight, my mom started to have me do these research papers on a topic I was curious about so I could get used to the process of just researching something and then presenting it. So we would go to the library, I would pick out a few books, and then I would have like a month to get this thing together. The first one I did was on volcanoes, and then I had a realization that I could do them on things I was scared of so I could get over that fear. So the second one I did was on sharks, and then the third one was UFOs. <laughs> Both of my parents had seen UFOs previously, just kind of pop in the sky and then shoot off. So this always made me kind of keep my eyes on the sky because I wanted to see one too. I was just so curious about the secretive, like, mystery behind them. But I always related them to, like, the gray creatures that come and traumatize you and cut you open and, like, you know... 
again, all of this like exploration through the solar system at that time, I didn't know that I was actually astral projecting. So I didn't know that aliens come in other variations and that they all are not freaky. (laughs) So we went to the library to look for some books and I stop. Ah, My cat is just biting my ankles. (laughs) It's not time for loving. So we went to the library and I was just skimming through books trying to find which ones I wanted to take. But this put me on edge a little bit at the same time because the stories were not that wonderful, you know, and it was just kind of freaking me out. I think I took out one on like UFOs specifically and then two on alien abduction accounts. When we got back to the car, I had this realization and asked my mom, what if an alien is in disguise as a human? How would you know? And then I started looking around and I was pointing at the people there and I was like, they could be an alien. They could be an alien. You could be an alien. What if I'm one? That was kind of a groundbreaking moment for me. (laughs) And I think that's what had started. If you listen to the first episode, that's what had started my like sensitivity to aliens. I was (laughs) always on edge a little bit when there was a stranger because I always thought there was a possibility that they were an alien. So I would just kind of do a quick check real quick to see if there was anything kind of weird. (laughs) I don't remember what happened from there. I feel like I didn't finish that essay because I got too scared. (laughs) I don't remember. Now, with the combination of my astral explorations, as well as me just kind of opening up to them by studying them, I started to feel an alien presence every so often when I was going to sleep. Sometimes when I went to bed, I would feel someone sit down by my feet, and I always knew it was my great-grandmother, so that was fine. Once my cat Dexter passed away, I would also feel him like jump on the bed and curl up in my legs, which also just made me feel safe and secure. But other times, I would start feeling this like growing presence of energy, right off the side of the bed, and I would get super anxious. It was this, like, terrible, uncomfortable, just freaky feeling. As a kid, (laughs) I was scared of vampires, ghosts, and aliens, and I always felt like when I went to sleep, I was really vulnerable. So I would sleep with a blanket fully covering my body. I would just have my, like, nose sticking out so I can breathe. But every single night, I would have to be fully covered. Even if it was the middle of summer, I could be pouring sweat. It would make no difference. (laughs) So I would just kind of be laying there with a blanket over my head. I wouldn't look at it, but I always had this impression that it was like a really tall, maybe like six foot tall kind of gray being like you see in the movies. I always had the impression that it was holding this scanner thing to either try to identify me or track like how I've been growing or something. So I would try to contort my body in ways that would prevent them from being able to identify me. In my head, if I bent my knees weird or made my arms look lopsided or something, they would think I was someone else. This would go on for about 5 to 10 minutes before I felt it go away. I was notorious as a kid for feeling scared and not wanting to sleep by myself, so especially after these kinds of incidences, I would take all my blankets and I would make a little bed at the floor of my parents' bed. I would do that all the time. (laughs) I hated being by myself at night. I hated it. (laughs) A lot kind of just 
hit the fan (laughs) between the ages of 10 and 11. So alien things kind of luckily just calmed during that time. I think they sensed that I was just not in a good place and they (laughs) thankfully just kind of left me alone. I actually just found out like earlier (laughs) today (laughs) the collective that would come visit me. They resurfaced about two days ago and are really wonderful beings. They're super empathic, which is very rare for extraterrestrials. And working with them is actually becoming a really big part of my journey. But that is a story for another time because it is very long and very complicated. (laughs) With all of the collectives I have personally dealt with, as well as other people's experiences with them, a lot of aliens, typically the ones with strong energy, will just naturally cause those feelings of fear, anxiety, and just uncomfortability, no matter what their purpose is. Every collective is different. There are some that are really good and wonderful and here to help, and then there are others that are not so good. But no matter where they kind of land on that scale, a majority will just create those uncomfortable sensations. I've always felt like it's just a response programmed in our DNA. I don't know why, but it just takes a lot of rewiring and like constant interaction with a specific collective in order to kind of calm it down a little bit and train your body to understand that that energy is associated with something positive. So right now, we're going to take a quick little breather. When we come back, we are entering into a time where everything has completely shifted. We are going into the meat and potatoes of my experiences with extraterrestrials. So stay tuned. All right, we are back. So I've mentioned this many times before, but when I was about 15, 16, My dad had some friends that were involved with the spiritual center, so we started going. There was specifically an event that we would go to once a month. It was with a woman named Wendy Kennedy who trance channels the Palladians. If you aren't familiar, the Palladians are considered Nordic aliens, so they look very human and very Nordic. (laughs) This was such a fascinating thing. There were like 30 people in a room just watching her. She would have her eyes closed and she would just be trans-channeling them. So the Palladians were talking through her and then you would just ask them questions. When she would channel them, her voice would change to have this like Australian accent, which is interesting. They were super kind and I really liked it a lot. It helped me become a lot more comfortable with aliens in general. So as I started working with my mentor, this was something I was really excited to kind of tackle. As I talked about in my first episode, I would people watch a lot to try and figure out if there were any aliens in disguise or if there were any like new incarnations of aliens. And if I found someone that was either of these, then I would try to get a sense of what the collective looked like, what their personality was like, what their energy felt like. And this kind of started to build my repertoire of different collectives. My dad started to trance channel them too, but he would bring in some that didn't speak English or like didn't know how to translate their language into English. So it was a lot of like weird sounds. And then I started trance channeling them and then I had clients asking about aliens working with them and stuff like that. So it was just becoming like an active exploration. There were times 
very rarely, but maybe like one or two times that I had an alien actually try to come abduct me around this time. I would basically get that anxious feeling and then I'd feel this pressure kind of start on my body like they were trying to pick me up, but I was not having it. So I would just demand that they leave me alone like the second I started to feel that. As a side note, aliens are notoriously very pushy. Other beings like ghosts and stuff are very easy to push out just by vocalizing that you don't want them there. But aliens really try to push your boundaries. So it would get to the point where I would become so infuriated because they weren't respecting my space that I would just explode at them. And once I did, then they would finally start to back down. It's really frustrating. But if you find yourself in that position, just stand your ground and they will give in. I'm going to talk about this more, but not all abductions are negative. I just specifically was not ready to experience that and it didn't feel good to me. I didn't feel comfortable enough to have that happen. So I just was not willing to go through that at that time. There was one time we were at my mentor's house and I saw that she had a portal open in her kitchen. And through this portal, I talk about this actually in the last YouTube video I made about portals and vortexes. <laughs> um, but through this portal, I saw a lot of weird things just coming through, like a lot of weird creatures. There were like these astronaut people. I don't know. There's a lot of weird stuff was going on. I was just kind of observing it. And then I looked around and I realized that there were these giant like praying mantises standing behind each of our chairs. I just brought it up to her because I thought it was interesting, and they are actually a collective called the Mantis. They are pretty commonly known, but they're very highly advanced and wonderful, helpful, interdimensional friends. They're really great. I would start to kind of see them around here and there, always in my mind's eye, but their interaction has increased exponentially thanks to a wonderful friend of mine. <laughs> I'm bringing them up now because I'm going to share an abduction story with them at the end. <laughs> so about five years after all of this, my clientele started to grow and tap into a range of people that are closely interacting with aliens. So some were having just like sexual interactions with them. Some are married to one and have hybrid children. Some have soul contracts and are just supposed to be working closely with them. There was a vast range. In a lot of these cases, because there was such a close interaction, there were a lot of abductions happening. They wouldn't remember their experiences while on the ship due to the safety measures taken by the alien. So it was basically my job to explain to them what happened while they were there and to help kind of trigger some memories. What happened during the abduction obviously depended upon what the relationship was. So we talked about this earlier in the episode, but some were just there to hang out, go on a honeymoon if they had just gotten married, <laughs> or to go there to get some kind of new implant in. It was very varied. I would do this by basically sending like a little energy stream into that moment in time, which would then allow everything to download in so then I could share it with them. A lot of my clients and I just became really good buddies and because I'm more comfortable with this stuff, I would then be abducted with them just to make them feel comfortable and since I was able to kind of override that amnesia thing that happens, then I could really like clearly relay everything that we experienced. Depending on the purpose of the abduction, they can either take you physically or astrally. 
If they take you physically or are just around you physically, those anxious feelings will be very present. Keep in mind, though, just because they're physically there doesn't mean that you'll be able to see them. They could be an energy being, so they could look invisible, but they're just like energy signatures strongly present. When they are kind of pulling your body onto the ship, what I personally feel is this really intense buildup of pressure on my body. Kind of like those carnival rides where everyone is strapped into like the inner wall of a big circle and it just spins really fast and it feels like you're like glued against the wall. That's kind of what it feels like. It feels like you're stuck to your bed and you just have all this pressure pressing down on you. I will usually then feel my chest kind of start lifting up and then there's this weird squeezing feeling like how you would imagine it feels when you're like being born. <laughs> And then you're like opening into this space of bright light. So with this, if you have somebody in your space with you, they'll either put a dummy in your place so nobody's aware that you're gone. They will put that kind of amnesia thing on everybody there so they don't remember anything that's happening. They'll keep them all sleeping or they can kind of make a pocket in time where you may be gone for a few hours with them, but they'll put you back right at the moment they took you so it doesn't look like you were actually ever gone. A lot of collectives are really good at manipulating time, so this is usually like an easy one that they'll use. If they're taking you astrally, that means that they're taking your energy body, but a part of your consciousness will remain in the physical. So it's almost like you're in two places at once. When they do this, you will feel energy around you, but you won't necessarily get that same anxious feeling. That's usually more of like a physical response. Depending on how connected you are to your energy body, like if you're able to really astral project and stay present in that state, then you will be able to really see everything going on with your energy body as well as everything going on in the physical. However, if you're not as connected to your energy body, then you may not have any recollection of anything happening. You just may feel a bit like loopy, uncentered. And then one thing that I have always noticed is everything around you just sounds very echoey. I'm not sure exactly why this happens, but it's just kind of like a symptom of their energy influencing your body to kind of open up in such a way where your energy field is able to kind of release a little bit. Other people around you won't necessarily hear the echoiness unless they're being abducted as well. Fast forward to this past October. My favorite stories always seem to happen in October. That's the magic of the thin veil for you. I had a very interesting situation happen with the mantis and some other beings. So my boyfriend's mom lives in Miami, and she was going to be moving in with his sister in Utah. So he flew over to help her and her five cats move across the country because that's just a lot in the middle of a pandemic. So I was home alone for about a week. And usually when I am home alone, that's when things kind of happen. <laughs> I was on my way back from doing laundry, and I was on the phone with my friend who I go on a lot of my alien ventures with. I turned onto my street, and there were like, oh gosh, like 30 or 40 mantis. Just to give you a visual, these guys are like between six and eight feet tall. They are giant praying mantises. And they were just kind of leisurely walking around. Some were chit-chatting, others were just kind of going about their business. They were on either side of the street, 
And when I saw this, I was just like, what the heck is going on? So I told him I had to call him back because there was just a ton of mantis everywhere. So I got out of my car and as I was walking, some of them were kind of like acknowledging me. So some were waving or just nodding their heads, but a lot of them were just kind of minding their business. They were neither fully physical nor fully energetic. They were like in between where I could see their outline physically, but the details were filled in by my mind's eye. So I walked inside and there was this like dual reality situation going on. Like what happens when they abduct you astrally? But it was like the room looked like the room, but there was also this like pyramid just in the middle. This pyramid was probably about four feet tall. I don't remember what exactly it looked like. Uh, I wish I wrote it down. But I want to say it looked like it was made out of blocks of black glass. And there were symbols that were etched on the outside of each block. The very top block, so the little point at the top, started to open up into this red light. And inside of it was a red crystal. I was very confused. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what to do with it. I was asking the mantis, and I couldn't see them, but I could hear them. And they were saying something like, I was going to start, I guess, unlocking who I am or who I was, and that I needed to go on a walk at 8.30 and another one at 9.45. Then everything just kind of faded away and disappeared. I looked outside the window just to see if there were still mantis there, and those were all gone too. So everything was just kind of calm again. So at 8.30, I went for a walk. I just kind of followed wherever my heart was guiding me. I wasn't sure where to go, so I was just trying to trust my instincts. And I was looking up at the sky, and I started to feel the energy of a being kind of start to materialize a little bit. He was coming forth as a guide. His name was Dendi, and he was just asking some questions about me, and then I would ask some questions about him. I posted about these guys on my Instagram, actually. Dendi is part of a collective called Alevalar. They look humanoid, kind of, but they have these giant wings that span everything. Every dimension, every being, every reality. They're huge, and they're just one with the universe. Their bodies are essentially made up of everything. So planets, moons, stars, humans, aliens, everything is a part of who they are. They're really wonderful. So after talking with him for a little bit, it was revealed to me that my soul comes from this collective, which is part of the reason why I can tap into other dimensions, beings, energies, and moments in time that kind of go beyond our physical sphere. Their aspect in me is very strong and I guess was just kind of starting to flourish a little bit more. I was like reconnecting with that. That was a very profound discovery and it just made a lot of things click. As I was processing it all, Dendi offered to take me on a little space adventure. Again, I was actively walking, but I was like astrally with them. So our adventure was really cool. I was just kind of flying through space. It kind of felt like the space mountain ride at Disneyland, if you've ever been. (laughs) It was really fun. It literally felt like a roller coaster, but we would get super close to planets, and then we would fly out somewhere else and look at different stars. 
I wrote about this in my Instagram post about them, but they are totally open to taking anybody willing on that same little adventure. There are three different guides you can call upon. So again, they're called the Elevelars or the Great Ones. And then you can call upon Dendi, Mara, or Zender. And basically all you have to do is just sit outside at night when the stars are nice and bright, just meditate, call upon them or their collective, And then just allow yourself to really raise in vibration because it's going to require that you kind of astral project over there. So allow yourself to just feel the sensations of flying and seeing things. Pay attention to colors. Trust yourself. The only way it's going to work is if you really just trust yourself and go with it. It helps you get in deeper and it makes the experience a lot more exciting. I was out walking for probably about 10 minutes and then everything kind of calmed and I got home and went back inside. I was doing some work and stuff just to kill time before my next walk. And then when time came, I went back outside and again, just kind of followed my heart as to where to go. Everything was quiet. Nothing was really going on. I was just kind of keeping my eyes open. And towards the end of my little block, I saw this big, like, gelatinous clear thing over one of the houses. I was trying to tap into it a little bit better and in my mind's eye I was able to make out that it was a spacecraft. It was probably about 40 feet in diameter but it was giving off this weird reflection to make it kind of blend into the space around it. So I was walking towards it and the closer I got the more pressure I could feel start building around my body. It felt like my skin was literally crawling. It was very uncomfortable. I started to have a hard time breathing, and my muscles just felt like they were tensing up a bit. Once I got to the outer edge of the spacecraft, it was probably only floating like three feet above the house, so it was very low. I don't know why it was over that house. I still feel like mantis energy around that house, but I have not knocked on the door and inquired, so I'm not sure. But anyways... Once I got to the outer edge of the craft, I could see that the whole underside was this like light beige kind of gray color. It had black circles, probably about four or five on either side. And then the center had a big circular hole that was illuminating the space underneath the craft with energy. It was very subtle. It wasn't anything like super bright. So I was at the outer edge and I felt my chest and head kind of start to lift up. The energy was really tingly and I felt a bunch of pressure start building in my chest. It felt like like a giant pimple was popping or something. I don't know. It was just a lot and it got to the point where my energy field just kind of exploded and burst up into the light in the hole. It was really bizarre because my physical body was still walking, but I had no knowledge about what was going on. I felt like my consciousness was just kind of put to the side. It was it was strange. So I was like walking forward, but it felt very robotic. Like I was just programmed to like walk. I was not aware of my surroundings. I was just walking. And then about 10 feet out, I circled back around, again, very robotically like it was programmed. I walked back under the craft. And once I did, I felt my energy kind of download back into my body. And I felt relaxed. And I felt present. And I felt like myself. (laughs) 
I definitely felt a little bit different. So I had the impression that they were kind of placing downloads in my body to start opening up different things, but I had no recollection of anything. I don't know what happened besides me walking. I was under the impression that if I needed to know, I would remember, so I didn't try to push it. I felt like it was secret for a reason. So I just went back home and that was that. In the following weeks, I started to have more memories and just moments of understanding in regards to my soul and all of the lifetimes it was living through, which then kind of further fueled that impression that they were probably just starting to like help me remember things. So that's my story. It was a very memorable experience because it just was very different than your average, like, lay down, anxious, squeeze up into some weird room, interact with people, blah, 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 and then come back down. You know, it was, it was very, it was just very unique and very involved in my physical state. It's really beneficial to have a community of people that go through this stuff if you've gone through it because the aftermath of abduction doesn't usually feel good. You can feel really off, just not mentally present. You might feel a little sick, a little anxious and on edge, or just feel really like violated the whole next day. So having people that know the drill is really comforting. It's part of the reason I'm here sharing my story with you so you know you are not alone. (laughs) I'm sending you all so much love. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Diary of a Psychic Medium with me, Amber Amrine. To learn more about what I do, visit channelwithamber.com. For future updates on the show, to give some feedback on future episodes, or to just connect, follow me on Instagram at Channel with Amber. Shout out to Unicorn Heads for my theme song, A Mystical Experience. See you next time.